Greetings, humans, and welcome to another edition of the Sensitive Skin Magazine podcast. I'm your host, Bernard Meisler, and today's guest, somebody I've wanted to talk to for a long time, that's the uh, wonderful poet and teacher, Sharon Mesmer, cover girl, American Poet Review cover girl, Sharon Mesmer. And we started talking about uh, poetry. This poetry shit, as she said, and we talked about Rupi Carr, the poet of the decade. Millennials versus Gen Z, the horror of the iPhone. We talked about podcasts. We talked about Ramdas versus Joe Rogan. How about that? And we talked about uh, cancel culture and the beatings of Hasidic Jews going on in New York City. All this wonderful, wonderful stuff. Anyway. After a while, we got back to the poetry stuff, and she reads her terrific Freddie Mercury poem, and then we discussed her new project that she's working on, where she researched uh, a whole bunch of women poets, American women poets, who were, as she called it, underknown in their lifetimes, and then she wrote poems, Sharon did, Sharon wrote poems, uh, extolling them, or in their style, or about them, or maybe a mixture of all that stuff. And uh, she reads a couple of those poems for us. And then she tells us the uh, story about uh, how she uh, had a plan to kidnap her one-time teacher and mentor, Allen Ginsberg, and how it didn't work out, even though Allen was apparently all for it. At any rate, I had a great time talking with Sharon, as I always do. And I hope you enjoy today's podcast. Here it is, without further ado, my conversation with Sharon Mesmer. All right, so let's talk, let's talk about this poetry shit. Poetry <laughs> shit, I know. Yeah. It's poetry. Is it, yeah. is it good or is it bad? There's a lot of bad poetry. It, yeah. depends, what, it depends what you think is bad poetry, because uh, Rupi Carr is the most famous American, well, she's Canadian, but she's the most famous poet in, a, in America right now, and it depends what you think about her work. I was just going to mention her name, but you beat me to it. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I, I, I'm not very familiar with her work. What I've seen has not left me unduly impressed. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Yeah. But uh, yeah. I don't know. There's always been... Uh, first of all, 90% of everything is shit anyway, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, uh, and you know, you just have to look for the, the, the jewels here and there. I, I think we have this, uh, sort of illusion of time, you know, when you look back and you see like, uh, you, you, you can look back and see like all the great poetry that was written the last couple of hundred years or whatever. And it's like, yeah. there's so much great stuff and you're like, wow. And. But, you know, 90% or more of it was terrible back then, too. And it's just... And a lot of the stuff that we think of that is good was not that popular then. You know what I right. mean? Like, right. Everybody talks about the New York school poets. They were not, you know, widely famous back then. Uh -huh. You know, uh -huh. if you like them. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I'm just using them as an example. Yeah, you know? yeah. And by, by, by the same token, uh, the poets who were probably really popular uh, yeah. are mostly forgotten. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. 
That's true. Except for, I don't know, Rod McEwen, maybe, and people. Well, like Ruby Carr is a lot like Rod McEwen. Yeah. I mean, she really is, you know, although yeah. I think he had he had a, a better range than she did. Um, he wrote l- l- lyrics, you know, I don't know if she's doing that, but I think he had a, a you know, a better range than she did. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I don't know. It's funny. It's just like. It's an interesting exercise. You can go back and uh, using your internet machine, you can uh, yeah. go and look at, say, like what like the New York Times bestsellers were, you know, in any particular year or what they named yeah. as the 10 best books of the year, say, in like the 40s or 50s. And you might have heard of one of them out of their 10, you know? Yeah. Now. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So, I, but I don't know. It's like, who am I to deny people people's joy if they get that from reading her? You know, it's like yeah. Cool. I mean, my my that's not even an issue because it's not my business. But I mean, the whole idea of her uh, her platform and her marketability and that whole thing—it's just that seems a little weirdly phony to me. You know? Yeah. Well. I, I, that's. I mean, she's like a, a an Instagram poet, isn't that her platform? Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Although, when you think about Flarf, I mean, what were we doing? You know, we yeah. were just doing goofy shit off the internet. You right, know? right. But I, I, I guess it's also. I don't know. I read a, uh, an op ed by the uh, wretched Brett Stevens the other day, mm-hmm. and uh, he said something. He kind of. I, I'm not going to go through all his points, but. Uh, because he kind of ended up missing the point, I think. But um, one of the things he said that was kind of interesting is that culture was defined by uh, adults in the 50s. Yeah. And it was defined by the youth in the 60s. Yeah. And now he was saying, oh, and it's again, it's in the 2010s. It's being defined by the youth. And it's kind of not. It's It's the youth is like having this technology shoved down their throats and yeah. they have no choice but to do something with it, you know? Yeah. So they're doing what they're doing. And I don't know. I've noticed, I mean, everybody always um, criticizes the millennials and I have my own criticisms of them when I have them as students. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember in um, 2008, um, I had a had a one semester sabbatical, and I came back and er, just after one semester, and everything felt really different. Hmm. And I, for years, I couldn't put my finger on it. It was like I had to repeat and repeat and repeat the things that I never had to repeat. My syllabus, my syllabi were like five pages long, whereas before they were like two at the most. Uh-huh. And it just got really difficult to do the things that used to be easy, and I couldn't figure this out. And then a couple of years ago, I think I told you about this before, that um, I realized what happened, and it was in 2007, uh, the iPhone was rolled out. Mm. And right after that, things really, really changed. I mean, it was a struggle to keep them off their phones uh, in class. But... um, 
you know, for the past like two semesters, and not really at the new school, but at NYU, I noticed that I'm starting to have more common grounds to talk, you know, with the students. Like their references go much further back than they used to. I think that's really interesting. Huh. You know, I, I for whatever reason, I my kids are Gen Z kids. Yeah, and I, so I that's what I'm talking about. My students are Gen Z. Yeah, so I suppose. Yeah, I suppose I'm biased, but I, I really like the Gen Z kids. I know? do too. Yeah. I absolutely like them. Yeah, and they're the ones who, you know, they had they. My kids grew up with the internet, you know, completely around yeah. them, and they basically grew up with it. iPhones too. I mean, they. Uh, I don't think I think I got my oldest daughter an iPhone when she was like. I don't know, maybe 13 or something like that. Just, yeah. Just because, uh, I don't know, maybe I'm a bad parent, but I did it just because like, all oh, my friends have iPhones and I can't like, you know, chat with them and they're all chatting. No, I know, yeah. I know. So yeah. I just, all right, I'll get you an iPhone, you know, and um, yeah, but it, it's <sighs> the whole, the whole, I, uh, you could get me started on a, on a long rant about this, but I, I think it's kind of like the worst thing that ever happened. Yeah, um, it is in a way, but I mean, so many good things happen, happened, you know, because of social media that you can't really yeah. uh, deny it. You know, like I got reconnected with my nephew, right. I got reconnected with cousins, right. you right. know. Yeah, no, it's, yeah. It's, it's the ultimate mixed bag, you know, but, uh, uh, you know, Facebook had that slogan when they started out, move fast and break things. Yes, and right. it's like great, and you now you've broken democracy. Thanks. I know, I yeah. know. So I, I, I don't know. There's something. It, it just seemed a lot more innocuous when you had to do this stuff through a desktop computer, and yeah. and and it was sort of like you had to make a decision. Like I'm going to go, you know, even if it was a laptop, you know, it's like I'm going to open up my computer and sit on the couch and surf the internet for a while and then you'd close it and you'd go do whatever but the yeah the omnipresence of the phones is is just really uh oppressive you know oh no it is oppressive and it got even more oppressive when the um when you had iTunes on your phone and you could basically just do everything on the phone right and people, you know, you know, people do that, and they go to bed and they listen to it in their beds. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, I'm guilty of that. You know, I I tend to I like to fall asleep to podcasts. Oh, me too. Yeah, me too. You know, and then I, I was listening for like I guess the past five or more years I was listening to Ram Dass's podcast. Oh nice. Yeah, that's very Yeah, and he just died. Yeah, you know? he just died. He well he I guess we should say he he left his body is how he yes, would like he to. Yeah, he did. He moved on. He moved on. Yeah. He moved on. Yeah. No, I I, I actually uh, started listening to those a while ago myself that uh, I, but that's great that you can listen to you know, and they're, and they're basically just a compendium of all the lectures that he's recorded over the last 30 years. And now they just release him and call it a podcast, you know. Yeah. Um, it's not like he, he's not like Joe Rogan <laughs> or something like that. I, you know, I know who Joe Rogan is, but I've never. Who, who is he? Joe Rogan is 
a very interesting character because uh, he has. Is he one of the debunkers? Well, he is. He he's first of all, he probably has the most popular podcast, uh-huh. um, especially with like um, younger people. Yeah, and but, but he's a strange cat. He's a stand-up comedian. Uh-huh. You know, and he has like Netflix specials. I, I've watched his comedy. I don't think he's funny at all. Um, I see. I just I just googled him. Yeah, I, I know who he is. Yeah. yeah, which again, it's funny. We're talking about how bad most poetry is, and you know, I have a lot of respect for the art of stand-up comedy. Just like the nerve somebody has to stand up in front of an audience with nothing but their words and a microphone for an hour. Yeah. Um, yeah. And again, but you know, almost all of it is terrible. But there's a few people who are brilliant at it. But uh, I don't think Joe Rogan is one of them. And anyway, he's also like this physical fitness nut. And he's into like MMA fighters and that sort of thing. Yeah. Ultimate fighting, that sort of thing. And so he's this like incredibly bulked up burly guy. And he's yeah, like, I see. I'm looking at a picture of him. Yeah. yeah he's got he, a neck yeah he's got a big neck and like giant yeah. deltoids and uh uh but uh in the shaved head and everything and uh a lot of the, his guests on his pos- podcast are like people from that world but uh he every, every once in a while he does some interesting stuff and he's he's politically uh somewhat suspect i would say um, yeah, he's a well, he's an iconoclast. I'll put it to you that way. So sure, right, right. But he's had, you know, well, but, but Joe Mangan and he was a big racist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So everybody, you know, everybody's a mixed bag. But I've listened to some of his podcasts just to like see what the fuss was about. And yeah, some of them were, you know, some of them were pretty good. And some of them are, are, are uh, terrible. But you know, he's got he's had people like, you know, uh, Bernie Sanders has been on his podcast. You know, and he's just kind of like, let's hear what Bernie has to say. And he, you know, he does a, he quits himself pretty decently, you know? Yeah. But I've also heard him sound like a complete moron when I I can't remember who the guest was, but they were talking about, they somehow talked, started talking about painting, which is something he knows virtually nothing about. And he, and he actually went on to, you know, like, oh, my kid could do that stuff. And and he, yeah, and, he took yeah. it and he said, what's that guy's name? The big painter from the 80s, Basquiat? Oh, no, really? Yeah. And I'm just like, oh, my. <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, that just gives you a, a, an idea that there's somebody out there. And he's, he's also he's also into like alternative, like, I don't know, neuroscience theories and nutritional stuff. So uh, anyway, where, where, why, why the fuck was I talking about Joe Rogan again? I don't know. Um I think my old psychiatrist was interviewed by him. Let me just see something. Yeah, he's he's interest. Another guy who's really interesting is Sam Harris. Uh huh. Who's um? Oh yeah, my old psychiatrist, who I hate uh, now, was interviewed by him. By by Rogan or? Yeah, Joe Rogan. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. So yeah, it was Sam Harris is like uh, another one of these guys. He's utterly politically suspect he's not quite alt-right but he's alt-right adjacent you know yeah and he's he's one of the guys who's like you know he he has a bone to pick with islam and uh it's like come on man just shut up his mom islam oh i thought he said he has a bone to pick with his mom well he probably does (laughs) they probably does too you know (laughs) but but he's actually he's also a trained uh neuroscience not a neuroscientist and when he has people talking about like 
things like consciousness and mind expansion and meditation and psychedelic drugs. He's like completely fascinating. So, yeah, but uh, he got in a lot of trouble for doing a podcast with Charles Murray. Um, you know, who Charles Murray is the, the, the basically the IQ guy, the, you know, who's like a total oh. racist. You know? Oh yeah. I see it. Yeah. 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 And, uh, uh, but again, it's, this is like kind of the world we live in is that Charles Murray is in my humble opinion, kind of a despicable character mm -hmm. because he's basically saying that you can measure IQ, uh, across, uh, racial groups. And see oh, man. oh, I know that guy. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, he came to, oh, God, where was he? I mean, I knew about this from my students because he made an appearance someplace and he was just basically shouted off the stage. Right. And there was like a mini yeah, yeah, riot yeah. and there was like some violence. People like, you horror, you know. And, yeah. And, and, and that's unfortunate too, I think, because I think that, you know, even despicable people like that should be able to be heard and, I, I think there's unfortunately a sign of our times and it's maybe due to the, to the internet and social media is that there's an awful lot of prejudgment, you know, you'll. Oh, not, not only is there an awful lot of prejudgment, there also is the, um, the culture of umbrage, yeah. like ready to take umbrage and offense at something immediately before and you know it's not just the left it's the right it's everybody oh, yeah. it's everybody yeah it's but it, for it, some reason i don't know why i'm i'm facebook friends with this woman um i think it's because she and i are both on uh some polish american writers thing i'm not sure what it is uh -huh. but you know there's been a lot of um uh, beatings of Hasidic Jews in New York, like over the last two weeks, like a oh, really? lot. Huh. Oh my God, it's it's insane. Wow. Like I think six people in one week. Wow. And so, um, this one guy was in Midtown. He was crossing. I forget where he was, but he was in Midtown somewhere, and some guy just popped him in the middle of the street. Huh. And the guy was from Miami, and he's a white guy. Uh, apparently, he's a white guy because I she posted this thing about how it's always the blacks and the Hispanics that are beating the Jews, and they never say that it's the blacks and Hispanics that are beating the Jews. So I looked up this, the guy that was beat up by the guy from Florida because they gave the name of the guy from Florida, and the guy is white. Yeah. So she's going around and posting all this stuff about how all these beatings are done by black and Hispanic men. Yeah. And it's not true. And then everybody like dogpiles on her. And then dogpiling on them are the people that are disagreeing with her. And then it's just like a big fight. Yeah. You know? And it's not very constructive, is it? No, it's not. Yeah. It's not. Yeah. But uh, uh, I don't know. I guess, And I guess they call it cancel culture. You know, yeah, it's, that's right. Yeah. That's so if like somebody does, you know, uh, one thing that's found distasteful by any one particular subgroup, left, right, old, young or whatever, that's it. You know, they, they, yeah. they've got to go and we yeah. can't we can't have them anymore. Yeah. Um, and... But, there, you know, there's another there's another side too. like a couple of years ago at NYU, um, I was in a meeting and. 
there was a student in the meeting, and the student said, if any, if a teacher doesn't have a trans person, a trans writer mm -hmm. on their reading list, I am just going to automatically assume that they are hostile to trans people. Yeah. Which is so not true. I have trans friends. I have students that I know. I don't have a trans person on my reading list yeah. you know, for the class because I haven't been able to configure a writing assignment around a book by a trans person. Maybe someday I will, but I don't think that's always the case, that you are um, hostile to a trans person because you don't have them on your mailing list, on your uh, reading on your mailing list on your reading list. yeah no that's ridiculous you know yeah um it, just making these sweeping sweeping judgments you know and and, it, yeah. and it's just like if you were teaching a class about uh oh i don't know uh uh early 20th century american literature the vast yeah. majority of the people would be uh white guys yeah you know, oh, you could, you know, you could find, uh, you know, Zora Neale Hurston would be in there. Sure, sure. Well, there would be, a, you know, you could find some people. Of that, course, yeah. and you'd have Ralph Ellison and people like that. And yeah, Richard of course. Wright. But, but right. still, still, you know, yeah, it's yeah. just like it's like that's the way it was. So, yeah. I, I mean, I think a lot of this is just uh, uh, a backlash to. Um, uh, you know how how racist and misogynist our our culture. Sure. Was. Oh, I don't I know it. Yeah, don't you? Don't you <laughs> oh, know, it? I know it? Yeah, uh, and and of course, still is. But at the same time, that's that's one of the uh, things. If I try to like put on my optimist hat, I I think things are much better than they used to be, and they're still far in some from ways, yeah, far from, far from perfect. But totally, in some ways, yeah. But I really, you know, I don't have to tell you this. I mean, like, for, you know, a lot of this that we're seeing in, in America, not necessarily anywhere else, is the backlash against uh, having a black president, you know. Mm -hmm. And people never, just don't seem to be able to get over that, you know, and they got to get over it. Yeah, yeah, but but I mean, I think it's also, you know, you, you think about like how fucked up things were uh, when we were younger and growing up and that like oh, yeah. it took them an awful long time to put Bill Cosby in jail. Well, that was insane because that was well known. And right. it didn't happen until um, Hannibal Burris had like three minutes, not even, it was like less than three minutes in his stand-up routine. Right. It literally was like a minute, it was like two minutes and 50 seconds right. where he talked right. about it. And then all of a sudden everybody's paying attention to it. Yeah. You know? Yeah, but it's but I mean I think that's I think that's where a lot of the anger comes from as they see that our our world or the world that these kids are living in was shaped by uh, you know the people who were the generation above us maybe um, yes and yeah. and and maybe we didn't do enough to stop it but we were the victims of it as much as anybody but uh, yeah the fact yeah. that he did that for fucking fifty fucking years and everybody knew it. Yeah, you know, is is just is just insane. But then you get people who are, you know, oh, I don't know. I, I think there's like a, a spectrum of horribleness. And, you know, you get you get the other end of the spectrum would be, yeah, a professor who didn't have a trans person on their reading list. And they're yeah. treat, treated as if they're Bill Cosby, you know. Yeah. Like canceled. You're out. I can't I deal with you anymore. So it's, I, know. I don't know. It's just the pendulum's always tends to swing. I, I think that's like a, I think that's like a, maybe a uniquely American thing. 
is how these um, mores and attitudes tend to swing from one extreme to the other? Yeah, that, yeah. Because I, we're also immature. <laughs> yeah, we're a very immature society. We are society. a mature country. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and it shows every day. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But uh, anyway, let's get let's get back to let's get back to poetry for a second. Ah, uh, yeah, poetry. Poetry, remember? Yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> so you you made the you were on the cover of uh, American Poetry. I was American Poetry Review. Um, it, there's an article about um, my current manuscript project, which is not done yet. It's um, it's uh, I've it's it's kind of it's I should just read it, but it's a it, it's a manuscript where I've researched um, women poets of the Americas who were underknown in their lifetimes, mm -hmm. either because of their politics or they just weren't known and they died, you know, tragically. And I've, re I've got about 35 of these women now, and I've got about maybe 12 to 15 poems finished. And you probably know some of these poets. One of mm -hmm. them is Lori Jackson. Do you remember her? I don't think so. Hmm. She lived in New York for a while. She didn't okay. really hang out with the unbearables, but, you know, she knew a lot of people, you okay. know, that, you know, like Carl, she was friends with Carl, uh -huh. she was friends okay. with me, she was from Chicago, so I've researched these women, and I write a poem for each of them, and incorporates a little bit of their language, a little bit of their topics, a little bit of their details, you know, mm -hmm. and um, it's called Even Living Makes Me Die. Nice. Yeah, no, that's that sounds like a that sounds that sounds fantastic. I, I I can't wait to see the project. Yeah, there's four. I mean, I can send you a link. There's four poems in American Poetry Review plus the um, essay. All right, yeah, send the link and I'll post it along okay. with this podcast. Cool, cool. Yeah. yeah. Now, do you want me to read one of the poems from there? Sure. Actually, though, um, I wonder. If I should read the poem that I worked on today, but it's three pages long, that's too long. Okay, and I'm I, and I'm, I'm and I hate to do this to you again, but I will request the Freddie Mercury poem again. Want me to read that poem now? Sure. Okay. Everything looks like Freddie Mercury. Have you ever seen something weird? Of the... <laughs> I started again. Okay. I didn't. I didn't drink enough before I. <laughs> Everything looks like Freddie Mercury. Have you ever seen something weird out of the corner of your eye that made you wonder if evolution just made a really big step forward? I did, and now everything looks like Freddie Mercury. Starbursts and Twizzlers look like Freddie in the I Want to Break Free video, and my Walmart zebra body pillow looks like him on the cover of Queen 2. Crumpled up dollar bills look like him and the wheels of the hand truck that my FedEx guy pushes the boxes around on. I was getting really bored with water until I discovered that the aquarium in the Japanese restaurant on the block looked like Freddie on stage in 1974 singing Hey Big Spender while stripping off his kimono to reveal suspenders and shiny candy-striped hot pants. 
You know the phrase, to a man with a hammer, everything looks like a nail? Well, to a woman with fantasies of three-fingered sloths posing in flouncy clothes with something sexy on their minds, everything looks like an old sheer heart attack poser. All the things Freddie Mercury looks like are the opposites of things that our current celebrities look like. Butt implant exploding over a field of teddy bears, Christmas ribbon coming out of a cat's butt, washed ashore 19th century mannequin head covered in peeps. In 1975, when I was 14, I first saw Freddie on the cover of Hit Parader magazine. Back then, he looked like a sexy black candelabra made of lagoons and taco meat, and I looked like scrambled eggs over peanut butter spaghetti. His buck teeth gave us all hope that someday we'd be fabulous, too. Most of the people I knew back then didn't go to college and got fired from their factory jobs, but the 70s were a more innocent time. Even though all of China was starving and whole families were shot trying to leave East Berlin. These days, Russia is China's vodka cave and East Berlin is an apple store, while America is a sewer cap on the Jersey Shore that looks like shit melting on a waffle. That's why I decided, while shopping the half price aisle at Hobby Lobby, to make random things look like Freddie Mercury. I bought some gunk manufactured from dog hair and moon rocks and made over my grandma's statue of Jesus to be Christmas Eve 1975 Hammersmith Odeon Freddy in his black open-chested jumpsuit, wearing eyeliner, black nail polish, and lots of brace bracelets and braces, playing a white piano and singing in the lap of the gods while an aggressive fog machine obscures the rest of the band. I used pulled-apart cotton balls for fog, and now cotton balls, fog, and Jesus all look like Freddie Mercury. Everything is so shitty now that I like to imagine Freddie reincarnated into a magical sea animal that can communicate telepathically with fans over great distances. And he is right now transmitting a shimmering ice blue Princess Diana wedding dress covered in silver sequins directly onto my body. It hasn't materialized yet, but I'm probably just not concentrating. The end. Yay! <laughs> it's not a bad poem. I like that one. I see some pro. I see some. Uh, I see some uh, facts I have to to fix here, though. Isn't that always what happens when you read? Yeah, I think aloud? that Hammersmith Odeon show was Christmas Day and not Christmas Eve, but there might have been a Christmas Eve show too. I think there were two. Well, you can take some poetic license, I suppose. Yes, I can. I needed an extra <laughs> syllable, even though it's a prose poem. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, speaking about women writers, and yeah. back in the day, I, I saw Little Women the other day. Oh, yes, I'm going to see that this weekend. How was that? You know, I had very mixed feelings about it. Um, really? Yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of Greta Gerwig. I really liked yeah. uh, Lady Bird, and I yeah. re- and I really liked uh, Frances Ha. Yeah. Uh, and I I thought the narrative structure of the film was fascinating. Um, mm-hmm. I'm it, it's there's it it goes back from the quote present day, which is her now yeah, and, then sure. seven, yeah, yeah. and then back to seven years earlier. I, I won't spoil it for you, but I, I thought that was really fascinating. I know how it ends. <laughs> you know how it ends? Oh man. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But that was the problem with it. You know what I mean? It's just like, it's a story that's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Get on with it, you know, and 
yeah unrequited love ships passing in the night dances costume dramas i found it like incredibly tedious um Mm, even even though it uh you know it was very well done and had a fantastic cast and all that it it was i i was sitting there and i was like boy this has been going on for a long time i'm gonna sneak a look at my watch this must you know and then i was like oh my god it's only been on for 50 minutes my god you know and then I, I, I let another long period of time elapse and I just said, all right, I'm going to sneak another look at my watch. And it was like eight minutes later, you know, and yeah, um, it, <laughs> it, 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 and I have nothing wrong. I, I have no problem with like slow paced films. Yeah. I like a good slow paced film. Uh, you know, the, the ultimate might be like 2001. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Which like practically nothing happens, you know, I mean, really, you know, but uh, a couple of times things, but it, it's, it's goes on and on and on. And it's just, but it's mesmerizing. And this, I, I found, uh, uh, it would, would that be akin to mesmerizing, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. But, but anyway, no, it's worth, it's worth seeing I, again. The, the, yeah, but, yeah, we're going to see it this weekend, I think. Yeah. But you know, I I'm like if, when I see the holiday, I think I just need to sleep all day Saturday. Yeah, it's such a weird time of year. Um, I mean, all the parties were so much fun, but I mean, so much food and and desserts, you know. Yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah, and and it's time to start thinking about that juice fast on January second. Yeah. 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 Definitely. <laughs> I, there's something about the uh, holidays that I I just find incredibly depressing. Uh, maybe that's just me. I don't know. No, there, no, no, there, uh, I mean, we don't have, we actually don't have a Christmas tree because mm-hmm. I just don't like the idea of a dying sentient being that I put into my house. You know, yeah, I just, yeah. I can't do that. Yeah. So we don't, we really, we've, we've had them cause David likes them up at the house in Pennsylvania, but I really don't like them. Yeah. Yeah. There's also something about like the, uh, this was actually uh, uh, a really nice one. I realized it was the first time in 25 years that I didn't spend uh, Christmas with my wife's family. Oh, yeah. Oh. And, you know, they're lovely people. But uh, when I'm like in this enclosed space and like staying at somebody else's house and hanging out with them every day for like six or seven days. Uh, yeah, it's it it, <laughs> it kind of gets under your skin after a while, you know. Um, yeah, I haven't spent uh, Christmas with a family in years because David, yeah, because David's mom and dad are both dead, and my parents have been dead for. I mean, the last Christmas I spent with in in Chicago with my family had to be two thousand one or two thousand two. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. Yeah, well, the the benefits of being an orphan, I guess. Yeah, yeah. but I mean, you know, I mean, there are so many other ways to think about Christmas. Like, I mean, in 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 Judaism and in Christianity, it's the return of light, and that's you know, that's paganism, and it's kind of a beautiful idea, and you don't need your family for that, you know. Yeah, the solstice, and you know, let's, let's bring back good old fashioned Saturnalia. That's what I'd like to see. Yeah. Lots of yeah, wouldn't that be wouldn't that be great if like we brought back Saturnalia and like 
Oh, people, lovely. I would love it. Wouldn't that be, and people like Jeff Bezos had to like go and like, you know, serve <laughs> dinner to like somebody who usually works like an Amazon assembly line or something. Yeah, yeah, somebody who's on the verge of suicide from working like 26 hours a day, you know. <laughs> and they get to like, you know, be as nasty as they want to to the boss for, for eight days or whatever. Was it, was it yeah. eight days or 12 days? I don't remember. For Hanukkah? Well, for Saturnalia. Oh, I don't know. Saturnalia? Yeah, no, that was the, that, that's where this comes I mean, obviously this all no, comes No, I know. From... Yeah, I know where that comes from. I'm trying to yeah. think. Uh, I don't know. Let me look it up. Sad. Yeah, but the slaves had the the masters had to serve the slaves back in ancient Rome. For it just says uh, the ancient Roman festival period of general and predecessor to Christmas. I don't really say how long it was. Oh, 17th, 17th December of the Julian calendar. So that was. It seems like it was one day. Hmm. Where oh no no seventeenth to the twenty third of December there you go okay so it lasted a full week yeah oh yeah. those were the good old yeah. days right and then you would go to the vomitorium and like do it again yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we need more vomitoriums after your Saturnalias you know? you know I think you might be on to something you know but it should be an app you know it should be like mobile vomitoriums that you can like call on your app you know. <laughs> You vomitorium. No, I, I vomitorium. You vomit. No, I vomitorium. I vomitorium. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You just carry it around with you. Yeah, I don't know if we should be giving away such gold for free. Um, I know. You know I next know. Next thing you know, there's going to be a startup. <laughs> <laughs> or an end up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, 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 do you want to read uh, uh, one of the poems you're working on for this project? Yeah, maybe I'll just read one of the ones from. Um, I'll read one of the ones from the article. Okay. Because the one that I uh, I actually could read two from the article because they're very short. Okay. Let's see which one is good. Actually, do you remember Elise Cohen? Uh, that name sounds that familiar. does sound familiar. I'm... She was a girlfriend of Allen Ginsberg's. Okay. And um, she was a poet, and uh, he was encouraging her to send her stuff out, and she um, killed herself by throwing herself out of a window. Ooh. And her work was uh, some, or maybe most of her work was burned by her parents because they were sort of uh, shocked by the content, which mm. was frankly about, you know, sex with men and women, and this was the 50s. Uh -huh, and, you know, uh -huh. um, so she is one of the women that I wrote uh, a poem for, you know. And so this is called Given to Fire after Elise Cohen. Not from nowhere, not the consort of a river. What I remembered best were accidents, a quiet brightness, Alan's arms around me. And if he said I was standing in the middle of the room at dawn, all in black, high on mescaline, more beautiful than the poem, then I was. And now I am passing back into the rocks, into the god of the rocks. Betty said it was birds who first fitted witches with wings, while fir trees of great antiquity sang lays they learned from their mother, air. I say it was too easy to love the leggy one. 
he made me run up and down the Statue of Liberty until I learned to fly, past the frosted skylight air shaft, through the closed window, like an arrow cast, without a bow, without an owner, but born on feathers, a cool stream of air. Mm. The end. Yay. Yeah. I know, they're, they're kind of sad. Yeah, I can see why her parents weren't thrilled. She was a great... She was a great poet. This is not yeah. her poem. This is my poem for right, her. Right, right, I get, I just I get it. I that straight. I'm not reading her poem. Yeah, no, I, I got it. For but, her, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, there's a lot of these great poets. I mean, there's a woman named Elmira Agustini who lived in the 19th century in Uruguay, and there was a great, like, uh, art renaissance during that time. And she wrote amazing, just presciently modern poetry. And she died in a murder-suicide with her ex-husband, who she had gotten involved with again. Mm. And then, um, you know, speaking of Alan, he used to always tell me to read uh, the work of this poet, Nicanor Para. And um, I recently I found out that Nicanor Para had this amazing sister named Violetta. And uh, she wrote a poem that Joan Baez recorded as a song. Uh-huh. And Violetta Parra um, created, uh, you know, like a, a performance space for indigenous uh, performers. And it was called the Queen's Tent. And she didn't get a lot of audience. She had it around for a long time. She didn't get a lot of audience. And then she killed herself in the performance space. Mm. Yeah. She was a songwriter, uh, like an ethnomusicologist. She was also a visual artist. I think she was the first uh, woman of color to have a one-woman show at the Louvre. Now, did she kill herself in the performance space uh, in front of an audience? Or... No, 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 by herself. Okay. She was alone. Okay. Yeah, it's just like her, all her hard work was coming to nothing, you know. All your hard work coming to nothing is if everybody who had that happen killed themselves. Yeah, and it's just interesting that Alan told me about her brother. You know, didn't really know about her. How well did you know Ginsburg? She didn't know him at all, but he knew. He was friends with Nicanor Parra. You know, Nicanor Parra was a Chilean poet, and Alan was always telling me to read his stuff and giving me and borrowing, loaning me books. Right, right. No, I was asking how well did you know uh, Alan? Oh, me? I was a student at um, at uh, Brooklyn College. Oh, okay. And um, he, blurred, he blurred my first book, and he was like a mentor. Nice. I have a funny story about him, though. Um, so I had asked him to write me like a recommendation for something. I don't re remember what it was. Mm -hmm. This is like when I was still his student. And I don't know, like a couple of weeks after that, I was at my, you know, David, my husband, right? Mm -hmm. It was when David and I were, were just, we're still going out. So this was like a Sunday morning at like 1030 and I was over at his apartment and the phone rang. And this is like the old days when you had the um, answering machine yep. that would like switch on, you know, with this loud clack and you'd like the tape would start going. So we were like laying in bed, lying in bed, 
and um, all of a sudden Alan comes on the machine. He's like, oh, hi, Sharon. Um, I hope it's okay to call you here. Your roommate gave me the number. I was like, oh, my God. So I picked up the phone, and I said, hi. And he said, is it okay if I call you here? I, I, I called your apartment, and your roommate said you were over here, and she gave me, and I said, yeah, it's like all fine. He goes, well, I just, you know, I woke up. And I was really worried that, like, I was supposed to write you a recommendation and I forgot to do it. Did I write it for you? And I said, yeah, and I already sent it. <laughs> and he said, good. I just, like, I just, I had this, like, fear that I never did it. And I said, no, no, you did it. And he said, um, so I'm not disturbing you. And I said, well, I was in bed with my boyfriend. And he goes, ooh, well, go back to it. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, I mean, I have other stories, but that's my favorite story. Of, that's pretty of good. It, it almost would have been better if uh, if you just let the machine run and let him go on. Oh, and, and, on, and yes, and then kept it, right? Yeah, yeah. And then record, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, okay, do you, did you have any others you wanted to read, or how are we well, doing I on time? Wondering... Are you running out of time, or...? Well, it's 623, and I really do kind of want to read this one that I wrote today. It's three okay. pages long, the lines are short, because this one that I wrote today is for Lydia Tomku. Did you ever know her? I don't think so. She hung around with the Unbearables, and um, she and I met on our first day of college, and we were best friends, and we did our first reading together. Uh-huh. And Speaking of Alan, we actually had a plot to kidnap him, <laughs> and we we went to a reading where he was, and um, we told him about it, and he really liked it, and he was giving us like all kinds of suggestions on how we could do it. <laughs> so I wrote a poem for her. It's not done. It it has short lines, so it won't go on that long. Okay. But um, it's called Nobody Told Us We Couldn't, or A Little Brilliance is Always Good, after and for Lydia Tomcue. You spread my tarot cards and whisper, I see a fever has crawled into you. I roll my eyes, scarlet or yellow. You squint through the velvety knots of your lashes, too early to tell. What kind of an answer is that, I demand. I don't know, you sneer, how many kinds are there? We're in your parents' kitchen on Oakley. It's a Tuesday, and like every Tuesday, a boy with a fork is tormenting a girl in the alley. I've just just spilled vodka on the major arcana. You've been dead ten years. The last time I saw you alive was at the Astor Place Kmart, wearing a purple glitter turban and eating a hot dog. Next thing I knew, your ghost, oddly shiny in the thin winter air, was stinking up my living room poking holes in the pink Brooklyn neon I called my own. I thought, something must be done. So I sent a novena to Most Holy Lou, patron saint of ugly kids and dogs who chase cars, arranged my collection of salt shakers into a lagoon of mad lovers, and and conjured you pulling that purple turban down over your cherry red bangs at your parents' kitchen table like you used to do, and made you speak. Made you blame the current surplus of hesitation in my spine on Saturn conjunct Chiron, sextile, unresolved adolescent ambition. Made you hold up a card called Delvo's Dream Girl, a nude sleepwalker glowing like a glass of milk, 
and chant in your raspy red rum voice. Soon a skinny black tie will be tossed romantically across the room, and suddenly, suddenly you'll run out of arms to wrap around all the young boys and all the old boys kneeling before you as you sit in a beach chair outside a cabana, sulking. But I know that isn't what the real you would do. The real you would take the side of a vile bridegroom who punched me in the stomach one New Year's Eve, not to speak to me for 14 years, then expect to be best friends again when your husband left you. You didn't go clean, convenient, leaving no mess like you said you would. You left a mess. A mess heavier than the weight of all the waves that kicked, them, that kicked themselves to death twice a day all along the seashores of the world. A tedious, ridiculous mess. Tedious like your poem about me, where I scrawl, Warsaw was raw in lipstick on an old lover's letter, hold it up to the mirror and delighted myself. Ridiculous like our nicknames for the days of the week, snowsuit, thug, aspirin. Like calling each other on the phone during sex with our boyfriends and pretending the people walking past the snack shop were celebrities. Ludicrous, like you actually being dead. Remember splattering the cathedral walls with paintings of fish, finding x-rays in the frozen dairy case, hailing cabs at 4 a.m. from the steps of the art museum in the middle of empty Michigan Avenue. It was the night we asked Allen Ginsberg if we could kidnap him and get ourselves on the cover of Time magazine. Too bad he said yes. I'm sorry. You know what? I can't read this. I just wrote it today, and it's, it, I'm messing it up, so I can't read it. I can't read it. I'm messing it up. All right. I, I liked it so far, what I was hearing. Yeah, I know, but I, I messed up like three lines in a row. Okay. Yeah, I'm not I'm not doing that. All right. Well, a, a, a wonderful work in progress. Yeah, it sounds okay, right? I just Where? messed it up. I'll, I'll, I'll read this um, this one that was in the magazine. It's called The Poet's Decalogue after Gabriella Mistral. Okay. One. One, be always conscious of your wings. Darkness is overtaking, churning, and even tension is tired. In the house of keeping still, all is hollow-eyed and groaning. Two, shiver and tingle outside the automobile. Grandma is on life support. The nuns and nurses found her and called you a wanderer. They know nothing of your wings, or do they? Three, this robe. The holiest were often required to be naked. Under the dome of the winged serpent, all was stillness. In those days, the sun door stood open and all of creation flew through it in radiant rounds of joy. Four, is your chimney warm? Is the air in it warm and the air in your room? Is your heart redolent with the scent of flesh? If so, fan the flames to produce a cooling jewel. Use this jewel to scry only the most necessary knowing. Five, make a pilgrimage to the mountain of butterflies. Love descends on those defenseless. Six, the ocean-born virgin is nicknamed Fishy Smell, but her real name is Bird. Find her in the nick of time. Her vagina is enough. You don't need the legs. Remember that initiation takes a lifetime and, transpired, and transpires purely by accident. Soon, a triangle of morning light will come pouring through the porch. Seven, 
Take the mantle of an earth-colored insect and make a wand with twigs and leaves. Use it to replicate the clean beauty of certain corpses. In the end, your face should resemble a luminous apricot-colored cloud. 8. Soon you'll stall. Your coverts will be to no advantage. You may choose to sacrifice your happiness to restore what was lost, but the sacrifice itself is a privilege. How long will it take you to forget this? 9. Everything that torments and suffocates, everything that imparts sorrow and despair, is the moving water that turns the wheel, that transforms air into tree, into prayer, into air. Breathe deep. Make scribble pictures of a stain on your ceiling and try to sell them. Very few will buy. 10. Now recall the glory of your wings. The end. Yay. All oh, right. That was great. Yeah. Hi. Hi. I do have to go now because I gotta leave here soon. All right, hon. It's great to talk to you. We're going to talk to you finally. Finally. Well, we talked other times. We just couldn't. Oh, use yeah. It. I mean, we and actually we had. I kind of wish we could have recorded those other conversations because they were very funny. Yeah. Oh well. We can't always yeah. bring the funny every time. No, we can't. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, have a uh, uh, a happy new year to you and David. Thank you. And thank you. And I hope uh, you know. I hope that. Uh... All the best things our world can provide come your way in 2020. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And I yeah. wish I wish uh, peace, happiness, and joy to all living beings everywhere. Me too. Except for my enemies, <laughs> who I would like to see driven before me, crushed, and hear the yeah. lamentations of their women. Yes, and maybe they could be fed to that monster in Star Wars that eats for like a thousand years. Yeah. <laughs> what is that thing called? I can't remember what that thing is called. Uh, you know what? It doesn't matter. Yes, I yeah. know. Yeah. That's like all. that was like an old joke. It was uh, yeah. What was the name of that material that they sealed Han Solo into? I can't even remember. Well, the answer is who the fuck cares? Yes, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Oh, when you're a nerd, you will think about these things. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. Take care. Thanks, Bernard. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.